0: Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete and I go by the name of AFR Ratings Pete on Twitter. Joining me on the podcast today is a very special guest. We will be joined by Warney from the Traders. This will be part one of a two part series. I hope you enjoy. Joining me on the podcast today is a man who is one third of the Traders. This is a man who bleeds red and black. This is also a man that lives in the beautiful island of Tasmania. You know him on Twitter as DT. Welcome to the show, Warney. Thanks, Craig. Great to be here, mate. Uh, How's the season shaping up for you, Cal and Roy, at AFL Fantasy HQ?
1: Oh, well, we've been working pretty hard already. Sort of we I guess we get stuck into it in early December um, where all the prices and positions basically start getting sent through to us. And um, and with that too, I suppose we um, start a lot of our content. So we've had the price review articles which have been going up on AFL.com.au since sort of mid, uh, mid-December. And with those, we've got podcasts. And this year we filmed them, which was really cool. We had an opportunity to shoot those up at Channel 7, so that was a lot of fun. Um, to do that. so yeah, that's been going through there and most recently we' sort of I've got a couple of little things to go yeah, at the moment, but um, the AFL record is another big part of our, our job at this time of the year getting all the content ready for that, which is shaping up to be pretty exciting. We're off to uh, Melbourne next week to go and do a photo shoot for that and, um, and get a little bit more information I suppose, about what uh, what's all shaping up for 2020, which is yeah going to be an exciting year and it's actually not very far away at all.
0: Yeah, we're only looking within about a two-week time frame of AFO Fantasy opening, so it's all genuine excitement from obviously for me and the listeners out there and obviously yourself to uh, get kicking off uh, selecting players.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. I think we love it all when it opens, and I think I love it especially because it means that we actually almost start getting into our routines and everything all happens now. It's so I guess it is speculation for another 60-odd days, but um, we can start really piecing together our sides and, and thinking about what we're doing as we sort of lead up to the Marsh series, which is when it all really heats up. And then obviously round one and that lockout week is the biggest week for any fantasy coach in their year.
0: The one thing I can remember about signing up for AFL Fantasy is when Selby tied for first, <laughs> yep. and, and it actually there was a, a countback on who who signed into AFL Fantasy Classic uh, first was actually deemed the first place in a tie for first. Um, so that that is one thing to remember when signing into AFL AFL Fantasy is to get clicking ASAP. Yep. Make
1: sure you're on to it and then uh, be ready to get on board and then click along your teams that many times for the next, uh, well, 60-odd days. It's pretty crazy. We'll be uh, up and about and there'll be plenty of content going around as well to keep you engaged. And Pete, I'll be following all of your stuff because that is super important.
0: Yeah, that's the one thing that I'll make sure that is accurate as possible is the information that's coming out of AFO Ratings Twitter and AFLRatings.com.au. Um, as we dive into this podcast, Q, uh, can, can you remember how you got into AFL Fantasy?
1: Uh, well, uh, back in the day when I was in high school, I actually did um, do the, the mailing one that used to be in the age. I can't remember if it was the age of the Australian at the time. I just knew it was a big newspaper when I was about 15 years old and actually had to order it in and make sure that they'd get that because I lived on a nice little coastal town in Tasmania and um, only about 1,500 people lived there, so we didn't always get. Um, all of the the national papers or the or the mainland papers, as we like to call them here in Tassie. So I did that, but struggled with that a little bit because it was about trying to get that in and all that sort of stuff. So that was probably my first real taste. But what I do remember when Dream Team started, we're at uni, and I remember we were sitting in the computer lab when we read all about it and saw it, and we did sign up there and had a bit of a crack. I guess we sort of played and didn't totally understand the game from the get go, but couple of years into it, we started knowing what was going on, so that was sort of in those sort of early 2000s, um, and then I would say that we were sort of hardcore fanatics by about 2005, I suppose, and that's when um, Roy Cow and I were living together, and that's sort of where our our journey started as well, because we lived and breathed our fantasy footy teams, and um, yeah, and then we started producing some content about it.
0: Okay, this this is a question you might not be able to answer or remember. Yeah over probably a beer, who was the first one to say, hey, we should do something here?
1: Uh, well, that was probably me, because I'm the nerd that likes a lot of that sort of stuff and see how that goes. But I think it was all, it was pretty um, an organic thing. We didn't really do a hell of a lot of um, planning to make it all become anything. Um, what had actually happened, one of our mates started a blog, um, and we sort of, decided we'd produce a video for it. That's sort of where it really started. So um, that's where we were. And yeah, the three of us started dribbling some rubbish in front of the camera. And yeah, that's that was now, that was 2007 that we did that. So yeah, quite a while ago now.
0: The one thing I can, yeah, I can't remember whether it was the age or the Australian back in the day. We're showing you our age right here. <laughs> yeah. um, but I can remember you had to call up and I think everyone, every player may have had a four digit code to change yeah trade, it was to and trade to play you in and out of your team. I mean
1: but there was something like only about four trade periods in the year or something like that from memory. Mm. Um, yeah and so you get the you get the paper and have I'm pretty sure it posted your results in there but then yeah. it had all the codes of the players and yeah it was <laughs> it was pretty crazy but I, I probably only lasted through one trade period when I did that because it was all a little bit too hard for my little 15 year old
0: brain. The, uh, the internet since then. Or about that time started to explode and obviously social media wasn't even a thing back then mm. so since then we've, uh, it's truly evolved into what it is today um, how much do you really enjoy the challenge of AFL Fantasy Classic
1: Oh, well, I guess I love it because it's um, the thing. I think with Classic, what's good about it is that you are putting yourself against thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of other coaches um, all trying to, or most of them trying to achieve the same thing, trying to rank as highly as possible. And there's a massive community about it. And so I think even just from us, between the three of us and then our immediate league, which has been going for about 15 years now, is that we just, we love... I don't know, the banter that all goes around. And so the challenge there is right from the get-go when we find out these prices, when we start piecing the team together from the start. And then I think what is really important and what gets lost sometimes for a lot of coaches is that it's so much about what you do during the season, not so much what you do in the preseason, especially now with a lot more information out there. But the challenge is that stuff that we do week to week and, and what that brings to us. Like, Winter, and especially living here in Tassie, it can be cold and and a long winter, and it just gives you that nice little extra thing, you know, to to be interested in at that time. So um, the challenge of it is a nice thing that gets in there, but I think part of that is the fun that does go with it. So I do enjoy the challenge um, a lot, but I guess it's the whole package that um, is what I love about it as well. But, yeah, with the challenge specifically, it is nice to be beating your mates at things.
0: I guess with Classic, I mean, every, everyone can own the same team pretty much. So, mm. so the challenge is not just picking either your favourite players or the popular pick, picks or the highest picks. It's actually trying to navigate your way through ownership, um, price drops in salary, uh, to try and get a unique team as possible. And that is for the ones chasing overall winner, but those who are in, in it for the league only wins, um, they actually apply a uh, different um, process throughout the year to uh, qualify for finals and obviously try and win their league.
1: Yeah, and I guess that's that's one of the things that everyone's sort of got a little bit of different um, idea or strategy into why they're playing the game, let alone how they execute it. So, um, that's that's one of the big parts as well. If you're playing for leagues, it can be a little bit of a different thinking than the overall. And and although two trades per week, when that changed five or six years ago, I think um, I think that's that's been a positive thing for the game because it's probably brought the way that you play it closer together. Because you know, some years that I'd be struggling overall ranking, so I would bank the trades and then wait for that. But now it's it's brought how you play league versus how you play your overall ranking closer together.
0: Mm. Um, I try and improve on my overall uh, ranking each year. Um, If I was in it for purely a league title, I would definitely set up my team at round one um, differently than what I would uh, chasing an overall rank. How about yourself?
1: Well, what sort of things would you change with that? I'll throw the question back at you, Kodkarsos. What sort of stuff would you do a little bit differently from your starting side?
0: I would just sit in Gorn and Grundy and just leave them there. Uh, okay, yeah. uh, and I oh, was just trying to work up to um, try and hit as many points up front as possible sure. to try and get as many league wins early as possible um, and not to fall behind. Because the one thing you can do when you're chasing your overall rank is to not record league wins early in the season. And then that puts you behind the eight ball uh, trying to make finals.
1: Yeah, I guess it depends on what your league's like. I suppose if you've got guys that are full in going in on that with a better uh, 20, twenty-two, starting twenty-two than you, then yeah, that's probably where you deemed to be thinking. But yeah, I don't think that changes the way I go against some of my mates that think that same way as well. So yeah, it's an interesting thing.
0: It's the one thing that I'm uh, running. I run a, a league or two here and there, and uh, you're number one ranked. Uh, in a league, as in ranking, but you're actually out of the eight for yeah, yeah. for league wins, and that's uh, there's a bit of a difference there. But and that's why I'd set up my team differently.
1: Mm. That's happened to me multiple times as well.
0: <laughs> Do you see AFL fantasy draft being as being just as popular as classic in the future? This is a
1: really interesting question, and I think. With numbers, I don't think so with the amount of people playing. However, the amount of people that are engaged and playing for the whole season and um, I guess the the content as being a content provider, I think that people will consume that almost just as much because I think draft is a, a, probably the most engaging way to play your fantasy footy because especially pre-season, we're thinking about it. We're compiling draft rankings. We think about it every player in the comp but you can't have everyone and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then during the season, so many different um, players become relevant is one way to look at it. But every little bit of news could affect more in draft than what they do in your classic side. So we do look at a lot of news across the preseason, but then especially into the season, you know, a player out for a team while well, you might not own them, what that could mean for someone you pick up off your waiver wire as a free agent there is, could mean a lot more than what you do with your typical stuff in your classic side because a lot of the times a change to a team in classic might have a little bit of an impact um, and you've got to trade that you can get rid of them if you really needed to and stuff like that. Whereas with your draft side, you've got to be managing it a lot more and I guess too, you're thinking around it all the time, um, almost every little bit of news I know I'm like this, is I've got my draft cap on and I'm actually thinking about how that could affect and how I might be able to uh, you know, use and abuse other members of my league to uh, try to make my side better because of it.
0: Knowledge is certainly one part of draft that needs to uh, be at a high level because if you, you have more information than your opponents, uh, potentially you can get one trade through, whereas another owner in your league may not accept
1: that's right and that's and that goes for your research as well I think not even just the news because I think most of us sort of get across um, what we can see with the news and and have our ideas and all that sort of stuff but but if you can really dig deeper into the numbers and the stats and what some of those uh, some of the news that you might be seeing injury suspensions etc then you can get that leg up on your
0: opponent's. Uh, I like classic uh, for overall rank but uh, also as much I like draft Uh, back when I used to play um, my initiation into fantasy sports was uh, uh, MLB baseball back in the day and Mm. that that was a a draft type um, platform Uh, and having a unique type player uh, makes it more Interesting for me uh, at some stages, so especially when I mean if your classic team's sort of struggling a little bit and you've got a good draft team going, it, it keeps you more engaged throughout the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, that's right. But I think at the end of the day, classic will be the more popular thing. I think it, because it's probably the most accessible type um, game no. that you can play without any mates, if that, uh, without making you sound like you're a bit of a loser, but you can play that. Without your mates, you can, um, there's a great community online that you can be playing against people with And I know that a lot of people starting with Classic have now got draft leagues against, um, against people that they've never ever met before because mm. of the um, community around that. I know I'm in that, and you're in the, that in the same boat. So um, that's what it is. But I think, um, yeah, Classic will always have that, um, that upper leg because I think it's so accessible.
0: Um, Let's jump back onto Classic for a second. Um, You have interviewed plenty of AFL Fantasy Classic overall champions. What are a couple of crucial takeaways from the winners that you implement automatically from that knowledge into your team?
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> this might sound, I guess I've been doing this for a while, but a lot of the times chatting to them uh, is that it reinforces a lot of my thinking. So whether that's your starting squad strategies, what you should do with your trades and all the basic sort of stuff we, we get out of them, which is, you know, all oh, there you're upgrading and downgrading and things that you sort of learn in those first couple of seasons that you play the game. But I guess it's, it's about the execution and maybe a bit of the luck as well. Um, that does come in there. So, um, like, for example, I think from all of the the most recent winners, we always look back at them and see what they've done. And probably one of my key takeaways is that there's no such thing as a perfect season. Like, these guys still don't nail absolutely everything, but they get that one or two weeks ahead, if you'd like to call it in that way, Mm. of their trades, and that's what gets them the leg up. And so it might be nailing that one or two unique type players or, especially those, those mid-price guys. So looking back to um, Craig from last year, and you guys did a great person in Jepper, um, all about that in the podcast. But some of the stuff that he did, he sort of nailed a lot of those starting picks. And his strategy, it's something that I wouldn't have really been able to put my agates out on the line for mm-hmm. um, with what he did. So, for example, I think Sam Walsh was his only um, rookie on his in his midfield. On the ground, and so that was something that um, you know you always try to get one or two different ones in there, um, and so yeah, he was sitting there at basically his um, his M eight, and then players around that he had James Cousins, which is someone that I wouldn't have ever started with. Like I don't like to get into the mid price guys that I. Um, I guess that haven't been there before. I always like to go with players that have had the runs on the board in the past and a mid price for a reason. But you know, and he did that. He had the Rory Sloans at the start, he rode Don Sheet early, um, Brad Crouch, I guess everyone sort of had him, but he had those calls which were really good. And so his most expensive um, his most expensive player in his in his midfield was Canelio and so he was um, obviously got off to a cracking start as well. And I was listening to your stuff, when you looked at his captain's work, he made him captain first when he scored a 160. So um, those, those sorts of things, I think, I don't want to call it all luck, but that is definitely on your side. And so, yeah, that's something that I probably as a big takeaway is that you don't have a perfect season, but luck can be on your side. So. Um, another takeaway that I got, I wrote a couple of these down here just to sort of get my thinking in here, was basically to always find value. And that's, again, I guess, reinforcing what my thinking is. I'm always someone that um, wants to find value in every single pick. And I know that uh, we might have a little bit of chat, chat about Rucks late, later, but um, Brody Grandy probably doesn't offer any value. But he'd probably be one of the few players that I would be looking at as buying someone fully priced. I think um, one of the things that you'd like to do is find is there some upside, even if it is only a couple of points upside that you can be looking at, as long as you're confident that they're going to be there in that sort of, um, in the top group of players for their position. So that's sort of the thing that I guess I've always learned from our um, our winners or our champs is that they're always looking for value. And, and I think that is a key to our starting squads. Again, luck is a factor with that. So, um that's where it is. And I guess, you know, you look at that for um, you look at that for Craig's team last year. He did he didn't start with the two, big two rucks and started with Goldstein, which I would like to call a fail if you looked at that. But the luck factor, he went to Riley O'Brien at that point. And mm. so that's the sort of thing that, you know, if he had a started with wits instead or another um ruck around there he may not have gone and done that sort of move and so um yeah so that was sort of one where luck it was a factor in that sort of thing but geez i tell you what that was the thing that probably gained him and i don't know what sort of number of points but it was a significant number of points by doing that move because of the dollars that he had invested into o'brien
0: i guess the the, the one thing looking through his season last year is that once you eat, every team in the top 10 did start with brodie grundy He he was one of the ones to one of the seven out of the top ten to start with Todd Goldstein at at round one. Uh, One of the one things that I look at is that once you once you're going down to Todd Goldstein instead of Max Gorn, is that that allows you to get another player or an an extra premium. So it's not just about for me. It's not just about okay. Todd Goldstein um, may not be any good. It's what it allows you to get, and I think that, I think that's the second part of what what um, people like Craig think about is that okay, I'm losing points there, but what I'm getting in return it has much more upside. And generally uh, speaking, uh, created a, started to create a unique lineup for him. Obviously, the Sam Jacobs injury uh, was an opportunity for Riley O'Brien, uh, but it would have been interesting if Sam Jacobs doesn't get injured. Interest- yeah, yeah. As of what move does he make uh, when at that stage Max Corn and Brody Grundy are starting to? We already had Grundy when Max Corn starts to score those high scores. What move does he make?
1: And it was, it was a genius move. I love it and all of that. But what happened if Jacobs did come back in round five or six into the side rather than being stuck in the twos mm. as he was? So um, And we even did see at the end of the season that Jacobs did come back into the side. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of what ifs. But geez, Craig is a legend and he's a very nice bloke and did very well to uh,
0: sneak home and win it. I guess the, the other thing that I take away from there is is that it maintained his buy structure. So when yep. when Max Gorn and Brody Grundy had their buy, I believe it was at round 13, the same week, most people who were running with Grundy and Gorn had a max of 20 players available, but he had 21. Mm. That so, can make a massive difference. And obviously, uh, he copped uh, Riley O'Brien against maybe Ochoa in the absolute... absolute dream matchup of let's um, you crushed for over 140 points which you can't forecast you know 10 weeks earlier yeah, yeah of course uh, because at that stage toby toby Nankervis wasn't injured um it was around that time anyway but uh these are the type of things that when you get an extra player at during the bye weeks uh especially when people are running with you know max 20 is that you can pick up some points there so that's another mm. takeaway from there the other one where you mentioned um uh, listen, uh, listening to um, talking to Selby and also Craig is a, a, a perfect season It it's just, it's almost um, a, it's a pipe dream I don't believe yeah. it happens looking at Craig's team, even from last year uh, things didn't run perfectly early No, uh, so it's not as if um, and this is where people yeah. probably lose hard early when they get a poor score I mean Craig, Craig's team did have some poor scores early in the season um, every trade wasn't perfect But what he was able to do was make some key decisions um, on Raleigh O'Brien, on Dane Zorko to get it 1% owned, on Andrew Gaff, who didn't start at round one. These are the type of players who weren't owned in the top 100 is to target them um, and get him into his team before everyone else.
1: That's right. And I think when you look across his starting side, like some of the names that were there, now Jordan Ridley, he didn't work. Um, Lincoln McCarthy. So he worked, and I mentioned before, James Cousins, those sorts of guys there, they didn't work. Mm. And um, so they're not perfect, and he invested into those as mid-price type players, which we get scared about at the start of the season as well of what happens if that doesn't work, how are we going to fix that? And mm. he was able to. So it probably gives you a little bit of heart in that that even if you mess up a mid-price type player, I guess with two trades every week, you can fix them in some form. So, um, But I think we always feel like, and, and tracking a few of the moves across there, and I know that the uh, Riley O'Brien move is a huge one to do, but but going back to that, Guns and rookies type structure. I think that it's the reason why that is a tried and true thing.
0: I think I think the two trades per week, uh, and I love it by the way. Uh, it allows you to become more aggressive. Yes. Um, how, how aggressive you want to be? Well, that's totally up to you. If you want to um, uh, go a different structure to a, a like a guns and rookies, uh, it can allow you to be more aggressive. And I don't believe that anyone's. Crack the absolute 100% code no. of how to hit a, a perfect season. And not only that, injuries do impact through the season and they impact your decision making. Um, so it's not as easy as it sounds. And the positive there is that uh, there's not a perfect season. I don't think anyone's had a perfect season. Um, no. I think that's,
1: that's been going back to a previous question now asking about do I enjoy the challenge? Yeah, I love the challenge of it because every season is so different. You're always going to have an injury here, an injury there, um, these players breaking out and all that sort of stuff. Like It's a challenge every single season, but it's a challenge week to week, and it gives us plenty to think about and plenty to enjoy.
0: Um, what were some of the decisions that didn't work for you last year?
1: Um That didn't work for me? Well, I guess one of the big ones for me, and this is, uh, if anyone listens to the podcast, you'll hear me sook and whinge about that a little bit, but my buy trading, I stuffed that up, basically. I got a little bit too pretty in trying to get my structure better. Like, it wasn't awful to begin with, but I wanted to try to get it better, but a couple of those were Jack McRae, who um, I traded him out before his buy, and also Jack Billings. Now, the two of them, weren't in great form leading into that and that was where I was at and um, then they both come back and absolutely smash it from after that. I was able to jump on McRae very quickly again, which was all right, Um, but with Jack Billings... Um, he came back and scored 170 at the Gold Coast up in far north Queensland. And uh, watching that game is actually making me feel physically ill. And I think about it now, I feel physically ill. But they were things where you just need to stick fat with things. And um, I guess another player I did that with, and I wasn't alone, and I still don't know if it was the absolute worst decision, but Josh Dunkley, I started with him, probably not the right call to start with him. Like um, Jack McCrae. Probably because they had the first buy, I should have just waited through that. But I got rid of Dunkley in the first few rounds because he just wasn't doing what I needed him to. And then I guess the rest of the history with him is that um, yeah, that he dominated after that. So I was able to get him back. But I think sometimes, even if you make a mistake, like I thought I'd made a mistake with those premium players, I should have stuck fat with them. So. That was the thing. Um, some other decisions that uh, that didn't work, I'll even just look at round 23, and it does go for a lot of different rounds, but luxury trades. You think you've got these luxury trades and you, you're almost trying to outsmart yourself by trying to pick a better match-up and all that sort of stuff. And The two players I traded out, in round 23, went on to score 150-plus in mm. that round. And that was Max gone. And the reason I traded him was it was an injury risk with him and a worry, and he'd already been um, out for a week earlier in the season where he was named, and so then he was a late withdrawal because of that, whereas um, this wasn't the case here. He ended up playing and scored a 150. Um, the other one was Matt Crouch too. He had a 74 the week before, um, and looking at the matchup. um I was just thinking, oh, yeah, I'm better off to look elsewhere and look at someone with a with a favourable fixture. But, yeah, they went on to score a score to 150 as well. So that's the sort of thing I think probably the things that didn't work or the decisions were some of those luxury trades. And that's one of the um, negative things about you know, two trades per week is that I did pretty well that I got a completed team in, an early enough time it just wasn't probably as pretty as some other coaches and um, that can be a thing as well that is a difference between where I am and and the champions are is that they might just have those I'm happy with a guy but they might just be that little bit happier with their M6 or M7 compared to my M6 and M7 who I would Cool, yeah, they're finalized the premiums, but they're getting an extra three or four points each week from these other guys and maybe a higher ceiling from them because they've actually got a different guy there rather than myself, so um, that's the thing. And I guess when you are a little bit behind as well, you do make some different decisions with that and try to go against what the top teams do, so you might think you can get a little bit of a leg up there.
0: The uh, There's nothing worse than making a trade and then getting absolutely punished instantly. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, for either a poor score or the the player that you traded out, absolutely crushing.
1: Yep, and it happens and it happens almost weekly for a lot of people. I think you always get as sitting behind the social media stuff, you do see a lot of uh, very sad stories for a lot of people.
0: Yep, just thinking back uh, the previous years when you you ranked quite highly, um, what were a couple of things that you can take away from that season? What worked well for you?
1: I guess just um, I think upgrading and downgrading is a massive key. So you, your cash cows are important. And the right time to milk them is super important. And a lot of that does come down to timing as well. And so this is something that could be a takeaway from the champions as well, that often they've got the right time to um, offload and bring in different cash cows. And it could be, you know, this is where injuries can really cause havoc for you. If those... Um, Better coaches up higher. They're not dealing with an injury, and they're able to actually cash out a cash cow at the perfect time mm. and jump on this rookie coming through. That's a lot of that luck sort of factor, I guess. But it's the timing that can help there. And I think that's where, whenever I've ranked higher, I've nailed that better. And mm. that and that's not through me. You know, last year, say I was sixteen hundred or so in the end, I think. But um, but which I would have loved to have been a lot higher. But I felt like I had a pretty um, disappointing year um, but the thing is like you do those sorts of um, you do those sorts of moves where you're kind of following along each I guess those if you if you kept playing catch up I think you're in a bit of trouble and that's what hurts and that's where you have more success if you can hit the things at the right time you're able to bring in that midfielder when player X has, has hit his peak low and he's playing Gold Coast the next week That type of thing. That's sort of the stuff that um, the timing is being where I've had more success, I
0: think. I guess the the one thing that I take out of that is is to try to be in that one trade ahead scenario rather than one trade behind the field scenario. And obviously injuries do play a part, but when you're thinking about um, ranking Holly um, and this season is it? You know, when when you're cruising with no injuries, is to to remain one trade ahead of the field.
1: That's right, and I think that's and it's a hard thing to do, and it's not necessarily in the ball's not in your court to be able to do that. But if you can, that definitely helps you out. Mm.
0: Uh, did you feel that your round one team and structure was correct last season? In general, yes. I um,
1: I've just. Got that up here in front of me now, and I, I think it all looks pretty good on paper. And I I guess there's things that you change. Um, I think my structure was absolutely fine from what I did. I think the main things were probably McRae, as I mentioned before. I should have not started with him, paid top dollar for him, and got him after his buy. That would have worked out a lot better. Um, so, you know, otherwise it looked pretty good. I did miss a couple of players, but that's what those initial trades are for. Like Travis Spoke was one um, that a few jumped on, a few waited the week or two because, you know, there was a bit of JLC hype, as we call it at the time, but that was the real deal uh, with what he did. I guess probably my biggest hindsight regret type move was not starting the Taranto and then not correcting that one and picking him up. There was a bit of pride for me, and I think it's the old school coach in me at times, and I just wasn't, I didn't buy that he was going to be improving on that 90 average as much as he did, and I wonder if I had have picked him up earlier, what my ranking would have turned into, because I'm sure my season would have been a hell of a lot different.
0: I guess uh, I was quite happy with uh, most of my team at Round 1 last season. Um, I did fade Josh Dunkley early uh, mm-hmm. because I felt that, that security in that midfield usage wasn't high enough. And not only that, uh, Tom Liberatore uh, was back in the mix for um, midfield usage at center bounce attendances. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's why I faded Josh Dunkley. Obviously, uh, the part two of um, my round one team is that I didn't choose Tom Liberatore. So I, I I had I found out and got the answer to no Josh Dunkley, but I should have had Tom Liberatore instead. Yeah. Uh, the and there was a part three to this, is that when Liberatore was injured and Dunkley was starting to score higher, as that I wasn't able to get him in that stage because I wasted a trade, uh, doing something fancy to try and be unique, and uh. and it not only cost me. Um, uh, some points there it was that i missed out on dunkley and i wasn't able to get him for the rest of the season which is quite unbelievable that i wasn't able to get him
1: that happens <laughs> yeah
0: so ch- trying to chase tail trying to get him and i couldn't get him all season not even round 23 i just actually couldn't get him yeah. so so my takeaway from there is not to waste the trade what is your strategy for trading and did you stick to that last season
1: um well i guess i did so sort of using the fix it trades early on that's um what we have like i didn't i got my travis bokeh but i didn't get my tim taranto and i should have done that but um yeah i think that's that's what you try to do early then i think another part is milking my cash cows as much as possible so riding them out for a little bit longer as much as getting a quick hit or a quick fix might help you um that's one thing that you do try to do and I, i think i did that fairly well last year I think some of it we did have a lot of selection dramas with some of our cows last year and that was um that did affect us I know like I got rid of Sam Walsh probably a couple of weeks too early and that was and mainly because he came back out I think the week that I traded him see I had a lot of stories like this last year um him. I think he had his top score he had a 130 odd um the week after I traded him out like it looked everything looked perfect to move him on and I think it was trading him to someone that was a perfectly bottomed out cow at the time and I don't have those bottomed out premium, sorry, I don't have those numbers in front of me but everything added up it was perfect and then he goes and busts a 130 and that was you know, the story of my season and stuff like that but yeah, I think that's the thing milk your cows as much as possible so you can get as many games out of them and then as many dollars out of them, Um, that's what we've got and then I think the other strategy is making sure that I'll prioritise getting the right rookie cash that's coming through during the season, making sure I jump on them at the right time, which I don't want to wait more than a week for them. So um, I might get them week one if I'm feeling really confident, but I don't usually get on those guys um, the second week. And I know I looked at some of Craig's trades from last year. He was quite happy to get someone. Like, I don't think he got Marty Hoare until... Round five last year. So um, he was happy to pay, I think it must have been about 50 odd K more for that. In my thinking, that's too much, but I think, um, I don't know, I would have tried to have got him earlier if I didn't have him. But um, that's something that um, I guess we all have to think about with what we do with our um, fix it trades and that to begin with at the start of the season. I guess. Um, one of the things with Australian forward trading, like your week-to-week injuries dictate a lot of what you do. So um, that's something that we that we've got to manage as you go through, and that changes your thinking. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I haven't hit the sweet spot with how you hold and trade like injured guys too. That's another thing that um, last year I nailed a couple where I got rid of them straight away, and it turned into a longer injury, or got rid of someone when they had their injury and it ended up being a one-week. And, you know, Lockie Whitfield's a perfect example of that, came back um, and busted out a 190 in his return. Whereas, um, you know, I held on to a Matt Crouch for three weeks, which sounded like it was going to be a one-week and it turned into three weeks. And, you know, my, my fortunes would have been much better than playing a bench guy for those three weeks and moved him on a lot quicker. So um, there's some, there's some uh, I guess you can hold but often it's safer to move them on is how I feel with a lot of that
0: sort of stuff I guess the one the one. did you have issues with Patrick Dangerfield last year
1: uh, yeah and I got rid of him um, for one of them as well Yeah, so he was in and out of my side
0: yeah um, I, I think I did trade him out instantly um, yeah and I think he did miss that one week or maybe we got lucky that he didn't play um, okay. that's
1: right yeah. yeah I think it was yeah can't exactly remember that now. I try to put him out of my mind a little bit, although he's he's poking his head back up on the radar for uh, twenty twenty at the moment. I'm uh, liking a few things about him at the minute. Well, that it, might be Calvin in my ear.
0: Yeah, because just, these
1: changes, true, not him.
0: Yeah, just on danger. Obviously, um, people quite a few people would be frustrated with him. Um, but that's when he, he was a forward as a mid only. I would expect ownership to be a little bit lower. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for people to just to get rid of that frustration. And that's, that's not on Patrick Dangerfield. That's on us as fantasy coaches. But um, if you're looking for a, somewhat a unique, Patrick Dangerfield might be that guy in 2020 at round one. Definitely. Definitely. That is episode seven of the Plus Six podcast in the books. Stay tuned for part two with Warney in episode eight, set to be released soon. Before we close this podcast, if you would like a chance of scoring a plus six podcast cap, just retweet any podcast link that is sent out on Twitter. We'll give a few away towards the end of preseason. On that note, we will wrap up this podcast. Thanks for tuning in.